Welcome to Conversations from the Edge of Consciousness. I'm your host, Christine Madeira. For me, and possibly for you, the inner world of consciousness has always been much more real and way more fun than the so-called real material world. Growing up, I thought I was alone in this, but I'm not. There are a lot of us, and far too many have no one to talk to who shares this experience. I've been lucky to cultivate a community of friends who love to talk about the energies, ideas, and vibrations that are pushing the edges of our own consciousness, as well as our collective consciousness. In Conversations from the Edge, we share our conversations with you. Welcome to Conversations from the Edge. This is your host, Christine Madeira, and I am here today with Kelly Hatfield, who is a genealogist and an energy clearer and does ancestral healing with your genealogy. So Kelly, welcome, and just give us a little thumbnail about what you, what you do from your perspective. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I am an ancestral healer. Um, I basically find the, the wounds in our ancestral lineage in myself and in ancestral lineages and in, in general. And I assist people with clearing those out. Um, I also do genealogy work where I'm doing the research and I do ancestral trips where I, I plan ancestral trips. I have done that for myself and, and clients as well. Terrific. So um, we are going to launch into what some people might find like not the most happy subject on the face of the planet, but it's been really important and it's actually something that's really important for all of us to, to look at because in, as we move forward in consciousness, we really need to um, move through some of these shadow elements that are there that we don't realize are there. So we were going to talk about martyrdom and perfectionism. Um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about why these are so present um, and what's so important about, about really knowing where they are and, and clearing them from your family lineage? Um, well, for me, it's, it's definitely a very personal topic. Uh, perfectionism and martyrdom, martyrdom has plagued not only me, but multiple family members um, for as long as I can remember. It, it's, it's kind of a hidden thing, though. I think we, we look at perfectionism and think, well, we're trying to be perfect, so what could be wrong with that? Um, but that's, that's where the problem lies because there's no such thing and we're, we're trying to attain this, this impossibility. Um, and so for me, uh, finally understanding that that's, that's just never going to happen, um, was the biggest piece of that. And then clearing out, um, figuring out how it is that I, that I show up in the world as a perfectionist Mm -hmm. and as a martyr, and then reevaluating uh, my coping skills and, and the ways that that I can behave differently. I think um, with many perfectionists, we, we do that, we did it to protect ourselves at some point in our lives to, um, from whatever was going on in our family home. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we're perfect, how can we get in trouble with parents and, and with grandparents and with the outside world with teachers? So I think it was a coping skill that worked for a little while, but now it's just not, it's not attainable. And it, it does not help when we're trying to look at the world as a whole and look at our, ourselves as a whole 
in in trying to have a healthy self-esteem. It's it's not it's not healthy to be a perfectionist as an no. adult. For sure. Not at all. And I, I don't remember if we were on a, on a conversation or if this was outside of a conversation, but you had talked about perfectionism a little bit and I, I laughed and I said, well, you know, nobody would look at me and think I was a perfectionist, but I've been watching myself since that conversation. And I have done a lot with no longer being a perfectionist on the outside. And anybody looking at my life on the outside would say, yep, that's, that's accurate. She's not a perfectionist in any way, shape or form anymore. And, and I've, I've talked to myself about about perfecting the art of imperfection and about allowing mm-hmm. things to be as you know good enough and not overdoing and all of that stuff. So I've, I've gotten pretty good when it comes to behavior in the external world, but I was really noticing for me um, how much energy I was giving over to doing the right thing um, inside. And it wasn't so much the right thing to be accepted by other people, but it was the right thing. Like what is, what is the right thing like in the whole scope of the universe, what is the most right thing that I can do? And I was looking at that and I thought, this is perfectionism. This is just like at a different level than what I was looking at behaviorally. Um, and so right. it's been very present with me as well as a um, as something that w- was showing up in a way that I had never really anticipated it showing up. So I, I, I appreciate that you brought it up because it, it's illuminated my own shadow perfectionist. Absolutely, yeah, I, and I do think it's 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 deeper than we sometimes see on the surface, for sure. Yeah, and you and know, there's so, lots. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say that, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of work around uh, around wholeness because it seems to me that as we're moving in this this place from wherever we're at now, this kind of particle based. Um, 3d existence to more of like a a wave energetic um, existence that uh, one of the things that we're being called into is wholeness and in wholeness you have to embrace everything and not just the pretty stuff and so Mm -hmm. um being you know for me it's it was it was really um coming to terms with those things or, or seeing perfectionism as the way to always be in the pretty stuff, in the right stuff, to be on the side of light, to be on the side of, you know, godliness, to be on the side of love and all of these things and really resisting that willingness to be everything. Cause I, I mean, that's kind of, you know, in the woo woo world, that's still a taboo um, about, about embracing all of yourself. It's, you know, still oftentimes about mm-hmm. embracing the good and, and kind of making the bad good so that we don't have to deal with the bad. Uh, but right. I noticed that for my perfectionism, that it was really about how do I kind of really not deal with that part of myself, not, not let um, the shadow element come up. And um, so that's been a big thing that's been up for me. And um, the, and I don't know if anybody else's experience of perfectionism is, but if you have that, that always wanting to be on the side of good and resisting and pushing away the side of, of maybe the, the unpleasant side of things, that's a, to me, in my experience, a, um, a face of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I have some other examples that shown that uh, have shown up in in me over the years. Some mm-hmm. are not as current, but uh, I'd love to list those because I think yeah. we don't always think 
we don't always think of, of some of these. So, and it's perfectionism and martyrdom. They kind of mm-hmm. go hand in hand for me. Well, so. let's talk just for, before you start listing them out, let's talk <laughs> okay. about martyrdom for a moment, because that's, okay. the, that's one, that's worse than like perfectionism is kind of a virtue in our society because we all love to be perfect. We love perfectionists because they get everything done right. Um, martyrdom is another virtue. We don't call it that, but it's another virtue, but it has a real dark, um, you know, the idea of a martyr is, is a really heavy energy. And so let's talk about what that is for a moment before we go into listing how it shows up. So for you, like, how do you define martyrdom? And I, I kind of think that martyrdom is the physical action of perfection, perfectionism. So oh. like um, just the, the idea of perfectionism and, and the thinking behind perfectionism, whereas martyrdom is like the doing um, piece of perfectionism, if that makes sense. I yeah, just feel it does. Like it's, yeah, I just feel like that's the action that perfectionism shows up as martyrdom. Uh, okay. I, I just, over time, I felt that it's it's so super connected. Yeah, and to me, martyrdom has this, and maybe this does for you as well, this whole sub, like this this underbelly of, you know, I'm I'm doing all of these things. Like I'm I'm putting myself out there and I am kind of sacrificing myself for the good of everybody else. But there's this real, there's, it's not a healthy self-sacrifice, not the self-sacrifice is necessarily healthy in general, but it's that, it's that I'm, you know, it's almost a self-elevation in a way. I'm putting all of my energy out here and, you know, I, I need you all to recognize this or I, you know, there's something Mm -hmm. that you want in return for that. Um, Right. versus like the Joan of Arc martyrdom where you, you, you know, are a true martyr, but I guess, um, so for me, there's always that, that kind of, uh, when I meet a martyr, when I meet a perfectionist, um, I can, I can experience perfectionism in people for me with or without the energy of martyrdom. So there's a perfectionist mm-hmm. that's being a perfectionist for themselves um, and then there's the perfectionist that wants something in return. And that to me is yes, the martyr energy. Yeah. And, but I think also that the martyr does it for themselves, really. Oh, yeah. Like, totally. I, you know, like, I think there, it, it may be, you know, the facade that I'm really doing all of this stuff so that, you know, you guys won't have to or whatever it might be. But it really is to come back to that because perfectionism is my thing that's my jam and you know I need people to think I'm a perfectionist and I, I need others to think that and I need to know it myself too okay yeah so I see that that there's there's that place of wanting to be perfect to be recognized as being perfect and then to me martyrdom has the additional piece of it doesn't even necessarily be perfectionism specific to me that martyrdom is I am doing all of this and what I need from you is recognition that I am doing yeah. all of this like I, I need that for whatever yeah. reason um and yeah so I see them together and I see them as as distinct as well kind of like I forget what it's called when mm-hmm. you've got two circles that overlap in the middle uh, right right so yeah and I, I I think I've definitely experienced both in myself um for, but with different motivations behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give some examples okay. of the lovely things that have been my life at different points. <laughs> um, <laughs> so 
So pouting, not doing what I want to do, not saying what I want to say, quitting, not attempting something because I may fail, Mm -hmm. fear of failure, putting others' opinions before mine, excelling at the things I'm confident in, even if I hate that task, saying yes, even when I don't want to, fully feeling the negative feelings and thoughts about myself or a situation and sitting in it instead of observing and moving past it, Mm -hmm. Uh, making a list in my head and sometimes out loud of all the things I have done to prove myself and to others that I am enough. (laughs) Um, There's Uh also fear of success. Mm -hmm. Um, And then setting myself up to feel ignored by others by Mm -hmm. actually isolating myself. Yes, I've Um, done that a lot. That's nice. Like, oh, I'm feeling ignored because I purposely set it up so that I would feel ignored because I'm over here in a corner by myself. So So. I'm going to pause right there because that's that's Mm -hmm. been me too. I've done that in a variety of different ways. And it's kind of like I'm stuck in this feeling and I'm going to prove to myself that this is actually true by organizing my life so that this is what I experience. Of course, you know. It's a little bit different. Um, when you're doing it, it's a lot more unconscious. But for, I had a question there for you with that. Oh, so I did have a question. How did you recognize that? And how did you pull back out? Because it could be that, I mean, that's one that I see a lot in people that they create these scenarios to prove something about themselves that nobody really believes anyway, but they do. And they're trying to, you know, create a scenario in their life where some some invalidation of who they are as a person is um, proven or to set somebody up so that somebody else has to come along and point out to you that this is not true. So in, in one way or another, kind of abdicating self-responsibility, how did you catch that in yourself and what did you do to get out of it? Well, let me make sure I understand your your question. So as okay. far as the the feeling of ignored or isolating, that specifically? The whole, not so much the feeling of that, but the, the dynamic of I feel alone or I'm isolated and I am going to create scenarios that actually make me feel more alone and isolated. And so that that whole idea, not just of the feeling, but of having to make that feeling even more true by setting yourself up to feel that even more strongly. Um, well, and what I didn't have on here was cut off your nose to spite your face, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't uh, know that there's an even a better way to say that other than yeah. that phrase. <laughs> yeah, that um, pretty much is that, yes. Yeah. And I, <laughs> well, truthfully, it, it helped that I have a great aunt, and we've discussed it, so she'd be fine with me saying that, but a great aunt who did it, and, and I have done it my whole life, and um, she actually recently told me that her mother, my great-grandmother, used to do it all the time. I didn't see that in her, because I saw her mm-hmm. when she was older, but um, that was interesting to have that conversation, like, oh, this is, you know, not just martyrdom, but, like, in this specific way, um, yeah. they they had this behavior, and then I have other families that don't have that specific behavior, but, but do martyrdom in other ways as well. But I think observing in that way um, mm-hmm. was helpful for me in almost all of recognizing all of my family stuff, basically. 
Um, so observing others and then turning it around and saying, okay, how do I do that thing that looks pretty unhealthy and so and so? How do I do that too? Am I like that or am, am I like it in a different way? Um, yeah. Or am I not at all like that? So that's probably my first way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, once I got used to being in my body, feeling my body, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't feel good no. when you're when you're in it and you know you're just feeding that. It just feels yes. icky and like sludgy to me. I guess physically, I would say sludgy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a bad feeling. Um, and in using the four agreements as well, like not taking anything personally, if I know that I'm thinking that my thinking patterns are going in a way where really I'm just taking on somebody else's stuff or, Mm -hmm. or assuming also don't make assumptions, but assuming (laughs) somebody must feel this way about me, then I know that's my stuff and it's not anybody else's stuff. So yeah, I think the, the agreements that, we made are important. Yeah, totally. And I, and I, the thing that all of what you said have in, has in common is that is a, a combination of self-awareness and self-responsibility. And it can take a while to cultivate those as like the path forward. Because um, that was similar to me. Like it was, I was the only one suffering. I finally realized, and I'm like nobody else really cares. <laughs> and right, you know, right, my, exactly. My whole thing, and it, ultimately, I kind of got myself to the place that I was, I would not take an action from those kinds of emotions. Like when I was in those kinds of emotions, the action to take was not to dive deeper into them in an unhealthy way. And at the time, I wasn't able to deal with them in a healthy way because I, you know. But when being in your body and feeling what it is and just allowing it to release and not trying to figure out why, you know, why everybody hated me or whatever. And um, so to not take action from that place and that the action that I did take or not take action to perpetuate the feeling and that the action that I did take and even in a thought like not to take to stop my thought process so that it was not perpetuating the emotion. And then also to make the next action that I did something that helped move me through the emotion um, as compelling sometimes as it was to stay in it. Because sometimes when all that biochemistry is running, running amok, like it just like it just feels really tempting to stay in the muck, even if you, even if it feels yucky. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's a yep, real kind of self discipline to be able to do that. Um, The other thing I I was noticing from your list are how many of those things are actually considered virtues in a way in our society, the virtue and not real virtues, but kind of our, our social obligation virtues to, you know, deny ourselves. Yeah. Gosh, saying yes, or denying our own opinion and our own truth about what's happening with us to make somebody Mm -hmm. else's truth better. Um, and I was just having right. a conversation with this about with somebody about medical stuff that she knew exactly what was happening in her body, but she was in a hospital situation and she's trying to tell the doctors and they're like, oh no, you know, we need to go through these protocols. She goes, I'm telling you exactly what is happening. If you just jump to this, you'll find this. And that it took, and that, but no, $10,000 in tests later, they're like, well, you know, you're right. And she's like, yeah, you know, so why do I have to pay you? <laughs> for running all these things when I told you what was wrong and you know we could have gone straight to um what I needed to be able to to get better and 
and that's a big one, whether it's um, in the legal field or medical field or with parents or with authority figures to, to be able to yeah, understand in your truth. Yeah, in business. Yeah, as, as far as a boss and, um, yeah, the, the boss and employee relationship as well. Yeah, and with any of those things, and, you really And men and your... women sometimes, yeah. too. Oh, totally, um, totally. You know, as women, we were we have definitely been raised to, whether we know it or not, um, many of us have been raised to, you know, let a man speak before us or, you know, I mean, that carries over into our work relationships. I, I had an example of that recently. So I was thinking of that. Oh. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's just, yeah. Or do you remember, you may not, you're, you're a little bit younger than me, so you may not, this might not have been part of your thing, but I remember the very end of the era of where as a girl you actually had to let a boy win like it was it was mm-hmm. unwomanly to let a, to to win a game against a boy whether it was a chess game or a checkers game or catch or anything like the 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 thing to do for the fragile ego of this boy and for having him feel like he's still you know the authority in the relationship was to let him win and you had the personal you know, the, the personal satisfaction of knowing that you should have and could have won, <laughs> but somehow you were mm-hmm. supposed to let him win. And I think there was even a Brady Bunch episode where it was like wow. the thing was to let the boy win. And I, I, because I, I remember think, seeing that and going, oh my gosh, that's so true. But I've, you know, I don't watch the Brady Bunch, so I haven't found that episode again. So maybe I'm making it up. Wow. But I do remember that <laughs> era. You're probably not. I, well, I, maybe not. And I, and a lot of older like I've had clients who were older than me who have talked about that phenomenon and how they were, they always had to let their brothers win and their mothers, you know, what their mother said to them was, you need to let your brothers win. You need just like I let your father win. And it, like the message was you can be as smart as you want to, but as long as nobody else knows about it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that still does go on that mentality. Yeah. But hopefully it's, it's diminishing I hope so. Anyway, but so many of the (laughs) things you talked about were virtues and and things that um, I think we don't necessarily think of as martyrdom because they're just so ingrained, like letting boys win. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and making a list in my head uh, or sometimes out loud of all the things that I've done (laughs) to prove myself. Well, I mean, it's not horrible that I'm like, oh, look at, you know, in some ways you may say, well, you're, you're reminding yourself that you're worthy because of this, this, and this. But really, I'm not worthy because of any of those things. I'm worthy because I am. Yeah. You know, so it's it's to make the list. Well, what if I didn't have that list? What about people who don't have that list? You know, are they not worthy? So it just gets into this complicated. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to make a list. No, because the list is really like proving to yourself. And it's, if you have the energy that you're worthy, you don't need a list. And if you have the list, chances are you're, you're running it, you know, out of that sense of unworthiness. And I, I mean, I, I've, I've not done it exactly with a list, but I, I have done it in my head telling people off in my mind. So I guess oh, that yeah. was a list in my own <laughs> mind. Um, so so yeah. what are some of the things that you've done? Um, I know you talked about some things. Is there anything else that you've done specifically to help yourself um, move through these? And then is there some clearing that we can do around this? Um, well, I made a list, <laughs> but a productive <laughs> it's one. It's a good list. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I did journal 
about it because I think all of these things are not, not things that I would have just come up with um, had I not taken the time to really look at, look at it. And so I journaled and kept adding to this list of the ways that I think um, martyrdom and perfectionism shows up in my life and, and my ideas about it, the things that just stay in my head and, and also my actions based on, on what I'm thinking. Um, and then I just kind of did a, um, a checklist, I guess, or mm-hmm. case studies of, of all the things <laughs> that uh, whenever I recognized it, I said, okay, when did this happen? What was happening that, that got me there? So in other words, what was the trigger? Um, and did I act on it or did I stop myself? Mm-hmm. Um, if I did stop myself, did that feel good? Did that solve it? Did that, you know, how, how does that feel? Um, if I did act on it or if I didn't act on it and then, um, if it didn't, then why not? And what's going on and what else do you need? You know, just asking my being questions, like, what do you need from this? If you're not satisfied in the, in the long run, and then also just calling in healthy coping skills. Okay. Well, that was healthy enough that I didn't do anything out loud. It just stayed in my head. So, okay, that's a plus. Yeah. And then from there, what, what do we do next? So that maybe you don't have to even, you know, have it pop up in your head. What can we do for, for that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And I don't have all of this solved, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. So I don't have all of this solved and it's a working progress um, for sure. Oh, well, but I think the, that helped me. That. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it helped me to look at it and to say, okay, this is healthy. This is not healthy. This is what I need. This is not what I need. So yeah. um, that was helpful. All and right. I, yeah. I don't know if people listen to Brene Brown or read Brene oh, Brown or Brene not, Brown. but the yeah. um, giving yourself, being generous with yourself, giving yourself the benefit of the doubt. I know we always talk about it with um, like for her specifically, she talks about it with an argument with her husband and that giving him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and being generous to maybe you didn't mean it that way. I think still being generous with yourself is super important that you don't beat yourself up for all of this, that, you know, you did this because at one point you needed to cope this way. So what is it that you can let fall away now? And one thing that she talks about, and and it's applicable to so many things, um, particularly in the self-awareness piece of, of anything, but of this as well, is, you know, when you're in that stuff, and this has been, I've used this a lot, and you can actually use this in dialogue with, with another person if you're having that argument, um, is to say the story I'm making up about this is, mm-hmm. and to recognize yes. that you have a story going on that, that may not have anything to do with the present moment, it may have all of your tsunami of your past coming up, that's informing your story of the present and to be able to voice it and say the story that I'm making up about this is, and you know, and this is why I don't feel love, blah, blah, blah. And then give the other person the opportunity to say the story I'm, I'm making up about this is, and to see, you know, to help pick apart what's actually really true in the moment versus, you know, whatever it is we're bringing to the moment that really is being triggered, but doesn't have anything to do with the moment. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I like that one. I okay, did, go ahead. I did want to say one, the the one that I didn't 
um, finish saying was telling myself I don't have choices. And I think that's an important one. So I just wanted to mention that because I think it, it may even be, you know, what covers all of it, truthfully. Um, because if you're in that space where, you know, you don't feel like there's anything you can do, um, that, that's not a fun place to be in your head. It's not. And uh, that reminds me of something too. And this was like the level and depth of, of this shadow perfectionism in me is, is I realized what I used to do. And sometimes I still catch myself with this, but what I would do is I would, you know, of the array of choices in front of me, which always felt overwhelming. Like I would wait until every single possibility was gone except for one. And then I would like the story that I made up about this was that that one was the right one because it was the only one left. It was the only way I, I had forward. <laughs> and so it must be right because all the other options went away. And I did that for years. And then one day I'm like, that's insane. Like that's just me refusing to make a choice out of fear of being wrong. Um, and it wasn't even big choices. It wasn't choices that, that were things that were inherently right or wrong stuff. It was really about preference. And I just was so divorced from my own, you know, sense of, of being able to have a preference that it was overwhelming to choose something that I might like. And so I just waited until there was no more choice or that I perceived there was wow. no more choice. And then I was like, okay, yeah. now I can do this. It was, it was such a toxic dynamic that it took years to figure that one out. Yeah. That does sound like martyrdom. Really? Just not oh, to, well, to punish, so. you know? <laughs> Self-punishment? Yeah, I'm good at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's uh, certainly a part of it because if yeah. you're martyring, then you are, you know, you're punishing yourself somehow, even if it's for the greater good of the cause or others or whatever. Gosh. Whatever and you're telling of, yourself at that time. Yeah, most of the time it had nothing to do with anybody else. It was just, it was just mm -hmm. me in this, my own little dramas. You know, the rest of life was trotting along just Absolutely. fine, not creating this old inner drama that was just in completely like just unsupportive of me as a being so um yes i think a lot of this stuff goes so deep and it's so um it can be so hard to spot because it's not sort of classic perfectionism or martyrdom mm -hmm. yeah and with not having choices i would say that's the, ma the majority that i have seen in myself and in with my family members is that you think you have to do something because that's what you're supposed to do the mm -hmm. end it doesn't matter what I want. It's, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's not good for anybody. No. Not at all. Um, but, yeah, that one can leak over to other people, I will say. That one can. Yeah, totally true. <laughs> yeah. All right. So is there any kind of clearing that we can do to help move this out of um, our sort of family patterning? Yeah, I'm going to do um, some distance Reiki and, and clear it for us and our ancestors. But I also do recommend um, for people that are able, um, a salt and frankincense bath. Mm. Um, because it's, like I said, it feels sludgy to me. It feels thick and just not great. Um, okay. So if, for people that are able, or if you want to soak your feet, um, I would recommend salt and frankincense. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, if we'll take three deep breaths.
we're going to do a body scan. So starting with the top of our heads, you'll imagine a plane, a horizontal plane of white silver light. Just, and it's just going to start going downward over our skull. Slowly downward to our shoulders. And if you'll just take notice of anything, any part of your body that may feel disease, unease, and bring that plane down to your chest. your stomach, your back, to your hips, down your legs, into your knees. down to your ankles and past your feet. So if you notice any part of your body where it feels heavy or tingling or thick or painful, you can focus some of your attention there and ask that the Reiki energy I'm sending go to that area. And from there, going to think of your parents, biological or otherwise, the people that raised you, or not. Think of that generation behind you. We're going to send Reiki energy to them. In the same location that you felt it in your body, if you felt it. If not, just to, to their head. And from there, we're going to send it to all the grandmothers and grandfathers that came before us. So however you see that happening in your head, by sending the Reiki energy out to all of our ancestors.
And then lastly, we want to send the Reiki energy to our siblings and cousins, and then all of our descendants. We'll take two deep breaths when you're ready, and then we'll be complete after that. Wow, that was powerful. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, thank you so much for that. That was, was I really felt that. I felt that my deep belly um, more than anywhere else. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was where it was for me. Um, so I yeah, sent that I feel out it on the, on the left side. On the left side. Okay. And yeah, it's interesting. I, the spleen for me. Yeah, that would make sense. So, um, and you, you know, if you're listening to this, you may find that each time you do this, it's somewhere different, you know, as you move through Absolutely. layers and layers. So, well, thank you so much, Kelly. And um, you. can you tell, well, yeah, you're totally welcome. Um, can you tell people how they can get in touch with you? And also, you know, if you're listening and you don't have a pen or pencil, you can find this information on conversations from the net or conversations from the edge.net, sorry. Uh, but how can people reach you directly? Um, yes, they can call or text 828-577-6333, or you can email me at rituals4, the number four, rituals4healing at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook under Ancestral Clearing with Kelly Hatfield, or at Rituals for Healing. All right. Well, thank you so much. We will be talking to thank you again you. soon. And uh, I'm sure we will have another really juicy topic um, for, uh, for clearing all this ancestral <laughs> stuff that's, that's been um, kind of sludging us up for, for a while. Yeah. All right. Thank you again. All right. Thank you. This is your host, Christine Madera. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation from the edge of consciousness. You can find all our conversations at conversationsfromtheedge.net. You'll also find links to schedule a private conversation with me or any of my friends, as well as tools to help you expand your own consciousness and explore what's possible for you outside the boundaries of your current perceptions. Feel free to use this podcast to start your own conversation by sharing it with friends, on social media, in your blog, or even in your own podcast. And as always, live the adventure of pushing your own edge. It's the most amazing adventure there is.